Hey everyone, the It's All Journalism team wanted to remind you that we have an email newsletter where you can get all of the latest news about our podcast. Go to our website, itsalljournalism.com, and follow the link to subscribe. While I've got your attention, I'm really excited to announce that Covered Press is now offering its journalist story management software for free for the first 500 journalists who sign up. As a journalist, I know how difficult it can be keeping track of all my stories, invoices, and communications with editors. Covered Press streamlines the whole journalism process and keeps you organized. Sign up at CoveredPress.com today to get one of the 500 free spots available. And now, enjoy our podcast. And send a message out to serve everybody and then to let them know what's going on in the Chinese community in all different aspects. It's not only like about political story, but about crime stories and other stories. After covering the Chinatown crime beat for 35 years for the largest Chinese language newspaper in the U.S., this week's guest was unceremoniously laid off. Rather than give up on journalism, she instead decided to publish her own newspaper. I'm Michael O'Connell. Welcome to It's All Journalism. Portia Lee is the publisher of The Wind Newspaper, a bilingual English and Chinese free newspaper she founded in San Francisco after losing her job last year during the pandemic. Portia, welcome to the It's All Journalism podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me and also thank you for your interest. Oh, yeah. I, I saw an article in The Quill about you and I think you have a pretty fascinating story. So tell me a little about yourself. How did you get involved in journalism and, you know, what sort of led up to you launching the wind or is it wind or the wind? Wind, W-I-N-D, newspaper. So there's a meaning there why I pick wind, because I think a lot of people ask me the names sounds very unique. And I have reasons because wind, I think if you just hear I talk about wind, maybe you think W-I-N, it's not W-I-N-D. <laughs> So that's a good meaning. And the second one, I think, you know, this is what I have seen as a, a journalist, a reporter uh, in the past for over three decades. So for the Chinese community in the U.S., I think there is a lot of, uh, what term I, I should use, maybe mystery or maybe, you know, the people, they want to find out more what happened in the Chinese community. Because I think because of the language and culture, differences. So we are not as the other community that open ourselves to tell everybody what we have. So I have always been asked what's going on in the Chinese community. So this is how I think if you want to know what's going on within the Chinese community and Asian community, you can just follow us, follow the wind where we blow. <laughs> so this is how I picked the name myself. And also I want, you know, the name not too long, easy for people to remember. So W-I-N-D is short, and so it's quite good for me. So that's how I picked the name. You said you had three decades in journalism. What type of publications were you working at? What type of journalist were you? Yeah, you know, I, I look at myself now as a lifelong journalist, and I really fall in love to be a journalist. And it has been a long journey and I was major in journalism in college in Taiwan. I was born in Hong Kong. Then I studied abroad and then I went to Taiwan 
to major in journalism because you know in those days now and you know, I'm old so you look back at like 40 years ago and then at that time you know print media was very powerful in Hong Kong I think everywhere so there was like a very famous journalism school in Taiwan it has been like the oldest journalism school in Taiwan so I really admire to be a journalist. So then I traveled to Taiwan to study journalism. And then after I finished four-year degree, college degree, I came back to Hong Kong. And then I worked at a Chinese language newspaper. That was the biggest one at that time. I worked there for a very short time, maybe about two years. And then I came to the United States as a student to get my master's degree in journalism and also in mass communication because I really want to learn more about how to be a better journalist. So after a two-year program for my master's degree, and then I tried to get my working experience in the United States. So I found a job uh, in San Francisco. And the name, that paper that I worked for, for 34 years, the name is called World Journal, W-O-R-L-D. World Journal, which is a Chinese language only newspaper, because I think at the time my first language is still Chinese, and I have experience working in Hong Kong, and also I know that the Chinese community is getting bigger and bigger in the United States back in 1980s. So I want to start over there, and then I work for. 34 years until last year, I got laid off by them. But, you know, I stay at one newspaper and I learn so much. And then I even enjoy more to be a journalist and a reporter. So this is how before I, you know, decide to start my own paper. So what type of reporter were you? What what type of stories were you writing for the world? World Journal. Yeah. World Journal. And I was assigned to cover criminal justice, including police stories and court cases and court stories. And, you know, I mean, this is how I look at it is really my fate. And I was in Hong Kong at the time I was covering transportation and social welfare. And I have, you know, never been covering any police story because I tried to do something. Maybe I, you know, I think maybe I am wrong at the time. I was wrong at the time. So I thought maybe police story more fit for a male reporter rather than a female reporter. So I've never thought about it. But at the time I applied my job and they said that, you know, when they hired me, they didn't tell me what I was going to be a size. So, but once my first day when I was there and then they said, oh, this is, you need to cover police and this is your, your bit and then this is your job. So I said, can I exchange my bid with somebody else? And they said that, no, if anybody wants to exchange with you, you can try to do it. So then this is how, you know, end up that I start covering criminal justice. And this is also another story. So I, you know, at the time, in the first five years, I didn't really like it. And I, I was thinking maybe it, it was not the right 
assignment for me. I was thinking, try to move on something else. But I think, you know, time went really fast. Five years, after five years, one day when I walked into the courthouse and I found myself saying that I really enjoy being a court reporter and a, and a reporter covering police stories. So then, even after five years, I really like to write, you know, all this criminal justice related story. And then even some of my former colleagues asked me to exchange my bid. I said, no, <laughs> I really enjoy, I like it. Okay. So you, so you were laid off after 34 years at the World Journal and, you know, somebody, you're in your 60s, I'm in my 60s. You know, at that point in your life, a lot of people would say, well, maybe I'll just retire or maybe I'll do something different. But you decide you still wanted to be a journalist. What made you think to launch The, the Wind, a newspaper? Yeah, you know, it was kind of funny when I told my friends and they couldn't believe it because, you know, I love my job so much and the people like to call me for stories. So I always got the exclusive story. So even, you know, at the time I got laid off, I have maybe at least five or six stories already finished, but I didn't have time to write it. So at the time I, I was really, you know, stung, you know, at the time I said, how could it be? And I am the longest serving reporter in the Chinese press in San Francisco Bay Area and why they would pick me, but you know, there were reasons that I know. And, but I'm thinking how I can finish all the story, that unpublished story. That's how, you know, on the first night after I got a phone call from my former employer saying that this is, that's what they said. This is your, your, five, your last day to work here and then tomorrow you don't need to come back. And then that night I said, why don't just myself to do my own paper and then I can finish all my stories. So, you know, my friends laughing, I said, this is how you are. You are just like to be a journalist. But, you know, I think this is the way that I can serve the community. And I think everybody have different ways to serve, but this is the way I think is very important because keep them informed. And, you know, my experience and I get better and better is really day by day. And experience is very important to all journalists. And so I don't want to, you know, just retire like this. But I think there there was motivation because pandemic and it's not easy for me. It was not easy for me to find another job. So everybody stay at home in the beginning of the pandemic. So I was laid off, you know, in early April. So everybody know, but everyone stay at home, but I don't want to be just sitting there, but this is not my style of life. And I keep working on the people keep calling me. And then this is how the wind newspaper, yeah, was born. I've heard stories like this before where people are either laid off or they leave a a publication, they leave their journalism job because they want to create something of their own or to launch their own news outlet. And usually the, the story is people wanting to break away and launch like a digital startup. But you, you're actually putting out a paper. What made you decide to do that as opposed to just do like a website? You know, I am always a print journalist. So I like reading paper myself. And also I'm a very traditional person. 
So I always value what's the tradition, and you know it's sad for me to see the print newspaper is fading. This is how we call it's a fading business because, you know, so many of us move on to digital media, but still I see. If I can, this is how I was talking to myself on on the first night that I decided to start the Win newspaper, and I said, if I can, and then I try to save the traditional value. So in journalism, and I just talked to myself, saying that I will try as best as I can, and then to see how long I can last. So, and also I talked to many of my friends because at the time people calling me and. A week later, two weeks later, and then they couldn't find my bylines in the paper, and then they want to make sure I'm okay. You know, I didn't really get confirmed. You know, I was not sick, so they call me saying, "Are you taking vacations, or why we don't see your your byline?" And I told them that I got laid off, and then I told them that I was planning to start my own paper. So everyone agreed except. Where we feel of them, and they said that yes, this is good. But you think about like your income, how you can afford to lose that such a your money because you you are old, you're getting to retire years, and so what do you think about about yourself in the future? So I think some of them they say that better not to, but it's just a risk. But otherwise, I think everyone suggests me still keep the print copies. So I agree with them because you know myself and also I have many hobbies. So taking photos is also always one of my hobbies when I was in high school. So I like to look at the pictures. You know, pictures, photos can tell a thousand words. So I think if you look at the hard copy, the photos in the paper compared to your computer to see it online or maybe from your cell phone, I think it is always different. So I decide to try how long I can last. So this is how I still keep the print copies. Of course, for the community and also for myself because you know I enjoy reading newspapers. Let me ask you some really kind of basic questions. How often does it come out? Yeah, it's weekly, so every Tuesday. So this is how I have time, like more time Wednesday through Friday, and then on weekend. So now it's twenty four seven. Yeah. So yeah, it takes. You're the only、uh, employee, right? Yeah, my son helped me a lot, and also I have a small staff of the freelancer, and. It's only several of them, and then they are my friends, and some of them my former colleagues who also were journalists before, and now they retire, and then they willing to help me out, and they also enjoy writing and taking pictures, and they provide the articles and pictures to me. This is uh, like uh, a teamwork. So my son helped me so much because. He is a young、uh, software engineer, and then he last year right on the first night, and then I talked to him because he work at home too. Because you remember,、uh, you know, a year ago in early pandemic, you know, 
we all need to be at home. And then he woke at home and I'm talking to him and he said, and yeah, if you have, you know, a plan and then I can help you out to build your website. This is how even until now he maintained the website and then he built and also developed and it has been a very major help to me. Otherwise, I think nowadays media or, or newspaper without a website, I don't think we can survive. But, you know, you look at my age and I am not, you know, as young as my son that know about all this no, new technology. I'm, I'm an old fashioned person. So kind of out of date, but my son helped me out. And so this is how when you visit our, our website, you see this is not like kind of the older generation media. It's more like, you know, to meet the needs of the, the younger generation because of my son. So he put in many new technologies and also helped me to tweet it out, you know, at the social media. So my son is also, you know, my great helper. And then he donate all his time and his labor to work on it. So he's a volunteer. Okay. So I see that, you know, looking at the website here, I see stories in English. I see ads in, in English and, and in Chinese. Are you, are you being able to support this through advertising or subscriptions? So far, you know, it depends. Like last year, first year, maybe because it's very new and because of election days. So last year, the first year, I was able to break even. So I was a volunteer last year. But this year, in the first half of this year, I was losing money. But, you know, I turned down some, you know, offer to put in money. But, you know, I just want my people to be 100% independent and not to be influenced by any, you know, big money. And then I try to do it on my own. But hopefully it will get better because like in July, I was selected by the city of San Francisco that to be the city's outreach advertising publication for any of the city's, you know, advertisements to reach out to the Chinese community and the Chinatown community. So I'm looking, you know, for more support from the city. And I think this is kind of a win-win situation for both sides for them because my paper is uh, bilingual. So we can reach out a bigger community. I'm talking about Chinese and Asian Americans and to help them to send a message out for me, you know, can help me to serve the community with the financial support. And I'm also looking on the website, you can preview the weekly issue, the print issue there. I mean, the, the one that's up now, which is for September 14th, is, I mean, it's a 20-page issue and it's got ads. That's a pretty good size for a, a weekly local community paper. What's been the response from the community? Are people happy to see this? You know, do they, they know who you are and do they come to you still with, with story ideas? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's very excited for myself and also for the community too, because it is free. And I think in the United States, I think for the entire across the country, maybe I'm the only one that provide 
truly about news story is a free publication. For the others, they all need to pay. So even some service online for some other major Chinese language newspaper is all, yeah, it's a pay service. But for me, it's free. I think this is how important, for, for some other magazine, they are not really news, right? They are free. For example, like Real Estate or this magazines on weekly, but for strictly news publication, I should be the only one. And so this is how it's very popular since the beginning from September 1st last year, that was the day for our first issue, where first issue since then, and more and more our community members know about our paper and then they come to pick up, of course, online, many of them, but for older generations, they really love my paper because I think, I know there, there were reasons because, you know, for the older age and they are not, they cannot, you know, make more money and then they want to save money for their other more important users. So for like seniors who pay, you know, to buy the daily paper is, is a luxury. And so my paper is free for them. This is, or many of, too many of them I'm almost the only source for them to get news story. So this is how I have been really touched every time when I deliver my papers. And then I, I have seen the seniors, when they see I was holding a paper, walking on a street, they will come to me saying, can I get a copy? So I think this is a moment that I really touch and shows that how important of my paper to so many of them. And for them, for seniors, they don't get used to look at the newspaper story from their cell phone. They have cell phone, but they would just like to make phone calls. But, you know, I think the still print copy is still very valuable to many members of the community. So this is how now my, my papers almost every week went out, but I don't have enough money to print more. That's the reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, very popular. Well, I would imagine. I mean, it's good that you have that relationship with the city, especially when it comes to advertising. And I would imagine, certainly during the pandemic, I'm sure there were lots of concerns about making sure uh, that the government, the local government, was able to communicate effectively with the Chinese population, the Chinese language population. You know, you started in in, in uh, September a year ago. Has you know how has the story concerning anti-Asian hate crimes sort of affected the Chinese community that you cover? Yeah, you know, for me, I look at this issue, it's never new. And, you know, from the beginning, I, uh, 30 years ago, <laughs> I was the reporter covering police and court. So I see the changes. So in the first maybe about 10, 20 years when I cover police stories, so the Chinese victim talking about the victims in the Chinese communities, most of them, they were victimized by our own community because of the Asian gang issue in the 70s and the 80s and even early 90s. It's so serious and it's a hurt, but it's very different at the time. When you look at the crime problem within the Chinese community back in 80s that I first started and early 90s, and they never hurt older people, they never hurt the seniors. It's always the gang war and between the gang members, but it's, you know, of course, the community's hurt, what's hurt by 
you know, all this gang issue. So it's about 10, 11, 12 years ago, I saw, I remember, that's how I remember because I never have covered something like that before. All of a sudden, about 12 years ago now, and the senior, they were attacked on at the bus stops. They were walking on the street. And even, you know, they were robbed. It's not just like, you know, robbery that maybe just, they just being, you know, taking away their purse, but it's very violent. They will push them to the ground and then they got bit up. It was like 10, 11, 12 years ago. So this is really a new trend of the crime against the Asian community. But I think maybe in San Francisco is very different from the rest of the country. It was a new crime trend when I cover, you know, criminal justice. I know what's going on. And it's without reason for them. They walk in. If you really want money, you can just, you know, you could just take away their money, but no need to hurt somebody. But it was like, it's very serious. It's keep happening. So I was the only reporter covering that, even among the Chinese press, because during at that time, I was already a longest serving reporter in the Chinese press. And everyone, you know, or I'm talking about the other journalists and then they might, you know, come and go for several years. No one stayed that long. So I was always the only one. And because of my connection, I talked to the police chief in San Francisco and also asked them to do more. I said, this is really a trend and you have to stop it. I'm, I'll just go back a little bit talking about the population. So based on the census data, San Francisco has the highest percentage of the Chinese American population in the U.S. among all the metro cities. So here in San Francisco, only the Chinese American population get close to 30%. Is Even in New York and some others, it's only looking at Chinese American population, we are the highest. So in the history, you can tell like San Francisco, you like the first Chinese American mayor and all this. And also San Francisco has the oldest Chinatown in the world outside of China, Hong Kong and Taiwan. So we have the history, we have the populations. But during that time, talking about 12 years ago, I was the only one covered those stories. So it has not been, you know, gone to the mainstream media. So it's only within the community we know about the issue. So then I talked to the police chief and then he, he was, uh, 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 George Gascon now is the LA district attorney. So I talked to him and then he was able to assign a large number of the Asian and Chinese speaking bilingual officers to those areas that most frequent attacks happening. And then it stopped the, the problem for about three months. So then stopped like, you know, for several years until 2000, I think 2018. The issue, all this attack came back. But still at the time, I was still the only reporter covering all this attack until like now everybody know because last year the story, the issue being, you know, covered by the mainstream media. So now it is the international news. It's not only San Francisco's news. 
So I want to um, make sure I understand what you're, you're saying here. About 12 years ago, you began to cover violence against Asians, Asian on Asian violence, you know, because the narrative that was has been put forward over the last couple of years, especially during COVID and these accusations in some communities of, you know, the Chinese flu or the Chinese virus. And so the perception for people who do not live in, in a, a city that has a large Chinese population when we begin to see that these these attacks on Chinese and Asian people by non-Asian people over the last year, and you know there are reports of it and supported and reporting around it around the country, so I guess that was kind of the question I was asking. And the fact that you you that San Francisco has a large Chinese population, and not because they're Chinese, but because that's a large segment of the community, there will be crime. There there will be crime in all segments of the of the community. You know, is that something that that San Francisco has been affected with, or is it because of the size of the, of the population? It's not so the concern not isn't necessarily just about outside violence, but violence within the community. I didn't know much about the rest of the country except San Francisco. I'm talking about like 12 years ago and all this trend. But I think all this crime, something is very you know hurting and for us to know about is very, you know, disturbing because most of the victims, I'm talking about 12 years ago, they were seniors and it's not young people, but back in the 80s and 90s and the victims, most of them, they are the young people. So you can see like the victims community now, be, their age is getting old. That means that they're old, they are more vulnerable and then they, they are easy target to be, you know, attacked. And I think this is what the, for the last two years, anti-Asian sentiment in the United States, because the older generation always to be the target for violence to be attacked. Of course, some of the victims are young, they are not as old, but in San Francisco, we can see that, you know, even until now, and the Asian American being attacked, most of them, they are really at the age of over 60s. So this is really, I think, I think the government, they need to do something more to stop to protect the seniors because they are not able to fight back. And it's not just about money, but it's about physical attack. But I'm glad that now more and more mainstream media, they cover the story and then let all levels of the government to be aware of the, the situation. But in the past, and I cover story in Chinese language only. So I think the message has not been reached out to the bigger or to the mainstream community and let everybody knows. But so it's only within the Chinese community. So, and this is also one of the reasons for me to start a bilingual. And I hope, you know, in both languages can send a message out to serve everybody and then to let them know what's going on in the Chinese community in all different aspects. It's not only like about political story, but about crime stories and all other stories. Just the simple fact, you know, as you just said, that by having a paper that, that's telling the same story in both English and Chinese, you're expanding your audience, you know, issues that are of concern to people who are Chinese language speakers, 
writing those stories and then writing a, a, a version in English for people who, who don't speak Chinese and may not be aware of those issues. I, just that simple fact, I think, can do quite a lot to sort of bridge the, uh, the differences. Portia, this has been a real pleasure talking to you. I think this is a fascinating thing that you're doing, and, and I'm really had, I'm really glad and congratulations that you've uh, completed a year doing this, and I hope you continue to do it moving forward. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter. You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. Speaking of subscribing, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere good podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us grow our podcast, like and share our episodes on social media. Look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Capre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Steph Thomas is our social media manager. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening.